0: All right guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today, if you uh, pull up your industry overview, which is available on our website at pawhealth.net slash pawcast, um, the PDF with our industry overview has uh, the several different sections. Uh, Today, we're gonna be focusing on service or sort of our lack of infrastructure within the industry. Uh, The the previous segments, of course, were on culture and talent, uh, but currently we're focused on the middle portion of the industry overview and today being service.
1: Welcome to the podcast. today we're talking about service uh, within the service bubble are three key factors that we have included in there are at-risk households uh, failure of population control and third being the antiquated business practices and I know in our conversations that we talked about in, within culture and in talent we've we've referred to some of these points but today we're just gonna take a deeper dive just to make sure that everyone knows what's going on within these industry overview because um, this is the last part of getting a full picture of the problems that you had seen years ago. um, And we're now starting to explore some of these solutions and and fully implement them in in many cases. Um, So to start off with, um, we can pretty much just pick one and say, basically, what do we mean by this? And just to start at the top, at-risk households. What what did you kind of mean by that, Dr. Carlo? Yeah,
0: so I think, you know, again, like you had said, you know, this is kind of the last piece to the problems we've identified within the profession. Um, But really the way that we've gone through this is what tells the story to end with business. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I think, yes, business and a lack of infrastructure is one part of the issue within our profession. But the other ones, I don't wanna say these are all equally weighted. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they all do sort of work together, some more severe than others. But really when you look, like you said, at the at-risk households bubble, Really, what we're talking about is a combination of problems within public relations, problems within wellness and engagement, problems within culture. That's kind of why I have it up into that corner of mm-hmm. the hexagon. Is because it, you know, uh, it really does have so many different pieces um, that we are not that that we are sort of adding to. And, and like, like you said, let me go ahead on to explain. So <laughs> let's kind of revisit some of the culture stuff. Um, Just very temporarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, because we can always go back to review those. But. When we start to talk about um, this failed bond spectrum alignment within culture, mm-hmm. and we then are starting to say, okay, well, we're having more animals per household. Um, maybe we're not all really defining those households all the right ways or at least uniformly. Um, you know, I guess the definition's there, but I guess the uniform definition, sort of how we have it at PAW, where everyone's a caregiver, like it's, it's whatever your attachment is to your animal, is how we're going to support your attachment. We're not going to impose anything upon you and how you should or should not have this attachment attachment to your animals. Mm -hmm. But when we start to look at sort of the lack of infrastructure sort of within the business side um, and sort of the uniform business practices and, of course, the antiquated business practices, but then we start to pull culture into that bubble and saying, well, what is an at-risk household? An at-risk household is too many animals who don't have enough care. Okay, That's ultimately the definition of at-risk household, just too many animals who don't have enough care. Mm -hmm. Now, that is Different. That is not again uniformly defined because you can have one animal in one household who has zero care versus ten animals in one household with top end care. So mm-hmm. it's it's not necessarily on number. It's more so on saying how, as an overall whole, is this an or is this household caring for the animals based on its own individual um, definition of uh, the human animal bond or where the human animal bond spectrum is. So if we take that and saying well there are these at-risk households that maybe we haven't identified uh, maybe we have identified them but we haven't engaged them appropriately because remember the at-risk household is close to the wellness and engagement and sort of the public relations Mm -hmm. if you look through public public relations there's several solutions there between active engagement passive engagement shelter engagement so on and so forth but if you look into these um, at-risk households maybe we've identified them but we don't necessarily have a Infrastructure that supports them, and this is what we're talking about for the middle sixty percent. Right, right. So uh, you know when we start talking about top bonded practices, which again we come into this antiquated business practice um, sort of thing. We'll come on that in just a few minutes. Um, but coming into the at-risk households and saying, well, maybe we have identified them, but there really isn't an infrastructure for us to help. Um, if you're in a if you're in a clinic where um, you know it's it's a lower Uh, volume practice a higher cost practice usually those two things go together versus high volume low cost that's kind of the two spectrums there Um, but if you're in a setting where as a veterinarian or a veterinary technician or just part of the medical team where you're in a higher cost clinic and you're turning away business turning away business turning away business then okay we are perpetuating sort of the at-risk household category right um, you know versus you know sort of the other way is if we have sort of a um, you know sort of high volume uh, sort of low-cost clinic then maybe the quality of care that They're getting isn't helping them identify to keep the whole household healthy Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, maybe there's uh, chronically managed diseases. That haven't been identified. We have a feline patient who has a chronic vomiting condition, or we have a canine patient with a chronic ear and skin condition. So, you know, in sometimes in your high volume practices, there just isn't the time to really sit down and have a 30 minute consultation on just skin problems. Right. So that's when we start to talk about these um, sort of at risk households. Um, that's just one sort of bubble of at risk households, because the next thing is is that it touches on failure of population control. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, much anybody who was homesick from school like 90s through early 2000s like that the, like the americana of staying home sick from school
1: it's is right is the price is right you know
0: and i think all of us have grown up hearing you know bob barker you know say you know get your pets paid and neuter get your pets paid neuter um i remember very very young I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, "Okay, Bob." Like that's a really weird way to end the show. Um, you but know. I agree with you for <laughs> I mean, some right. reason. I mean, because one, I love the show, and you're awesome. So <laughs> let's just say that. You know. Um,
1: and thank you, Drew Carey, for yeah. continuing the tradition. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. And <laughs> I, honestly, that's that another one. I mean, I get totally off topic, but I mean, Drew Carey. Like, could they have actually chosen anyone better? I don't like, think so. No, they don't. No. I, I think he, he he took the reins wonderfully well. Yeah. Um, and he's
1: grayed. <laughs> I know. It's even more appropriate now that he's grayed. You know I
0: feel like that I feel like they're doctoring it up for the show. Like yeah, absolutely I, I feel
1: like they had to gray him yeah. to make him slide in. Dude, I, I watched a stand up special with him and he had brown hair. hundred mm. percent the gray is doctored. I knew it. Regardless yeah. Uh, Bob Barker did put a, a big Anyways. emphasis in his life from from a mantle that was completely unrelated. Yes. Uh, yes. to, to yeah. talking uh, touching yeah. on this idea of population control. Yeah, population control, and this was you know the prices right was around for yeah. forty years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's it, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is a part of who we are as a country. So everyone right. always hears that, right? So right. It's get your press paid, no get your pay, no get your pay, no. When we start talking about failure, population control, um, that's where, like I said, it, it sort of ties in with these at-risk households. So when we start talking about failure, population control, uh, part of it is the discussion that we kind of touched on with culture is saying that there's more animals per household. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, more cats, more dogs per household. And in plus part of that nineties transition eighties transition, where now more animals are actually in the house versus yard dogs and farm cats and so on and so forth. Um, but with that, when we start talking about this failure population control, um, there really isn't the systems in place for us to adequately control the population are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So when we start to talk about all the animals that need to get spayed and neutered, that's sort of the industry side and in saying, well, we need to be spaying new of these animals, but at what cost? So what are veterinary clinics charging? Again, are they in a high cost, low volume clinic? Are they in a low cost, high volume clinic? Um, or are we saying standalone services being performed by spay and neuter businesses who just do low cost spay neuters yep. uh, versus humane societies and all of these different types of things? Um, but the reality is, if we were doing a great job uh, with population control, our shelters wouldn't be overrun. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be having thousands of animals being euthanized per day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, We wouldn't be having a rescue system at all when we start to talk about saying, well, now the shelters are overrun. We're starting to split shelter definition into a kill shelter versus a non-kill shelter. So now we even have this. But then everyone, even your non-kill shelters, for the most part, are usually pretty packed full. So there's usually a waiting list to get on no-kill shelters. So the waiting list for a no-kill shelter means that more animals are then shifting back to kill shelters, which, again, is just part of what it is. I mean, right. there's just so many animals Like I said, this failure population control. Um, but then we're actually starting to see now where the rescue systems are being overwhelmed, mm-hmm. where, you know, there really weren't any rescues in the 90s i mean they, they were there in some capacity but not nearly as much as they are now
1: well they were the sarah mclaughlin cases uh, yes when it yeah. when it was oh yeah it wasn't just everyone ended up at a rescue
0: correct yeah it was very very isolated instances right. isolated in circumstances and it was again kind of a low volume type thing taking the spill over special cases right. like you said yep. like you're saying exactly true but now it's where um we have your sort of true nonprofit, you know, five hundred one c three nonprofit rescues are packed, right. you know, and and you'll find that there are. But um, so now everyone is sort of starting to create rescues where maybe they themselves had two or three dogs and. Maybe they get up to about 10, 15 dogs, and they're like, well, I can start to place these dogs into good homes. I know good people. And then they sort of like adopt into the the sort of rescue side. Some of them are incorporated, some of them aren't. You mm-hmm. know, I mean some of them are, are actual true nonprofits, some of have, but then even within the nonprofit, the actual organized nonprofit rescues, there's no standard. You know, on, on how they're supposed to operate, what they're, um, you know, art, uh, not their or, uh, articles organization, I and mean, all those different types of things on how they're actually structured. It's just, oh, I have a nonprofit now, I'm going to rescue animals. Well, you know, the question being, well, how much veterinary integration is there? Mm-hmm. How much is your, you know, sort of disease management and population management protocols actually um, mm-hmm. under? the direction of a veterinarian, mm-hmm. um, you know, one that you trust or however that works, or is it something where the majority of your information is coming from online, from Facebook, you know, so on and so forth. So anyway, so, so we're just talking about rescues right now. Yep. Um, but then we say, okay, so, um, you know, uh, shelters are overrun. Shelters are split down into kill, no kill. Then we're saying rescues started to come up. Rescues are now overrun. And now we're jumping to the other side where now there's just people who are starting to take on more animals. Mm -hmm. Where I'm not just saying increasing number of animals per household, but now we're saying like, um, you know, when someone finds, um, you know, stray kittens on the side of the road, two or three stray kittens on the side of the road. Well, now it becomes, well, I'm not, you know, the the kill shelters, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to put these kittens in a kill shelter. I'm not going to, there's no non-kill who's taking kittens right now. There's no risk. Uh, kitten rescue in my area mm-hmm. um, and I don't really know what to do with these kittens it's like well I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep them in my house I'm just gonna have three more cats now right you know and eventually yes they may find friends um, where they can send those kittens off but um, again when we start to then kind of merge the line between at-risk households and failure population control now we're starting to say where with the at-risk household category where maybe it was one cat they couldn't afford um, ten cats or you know ten dogs or you know patients that they could afford now what we're saying is is because of this failure of population control now we're starting to stretch the budget thin. Mm-hmm. So if it was one of these households where um, you know they uh, had two patients, whether uh, two dogs, two cats, a cat a dog, just two patients, um, and they could care for them very, very well. Well, mm-hmm. I think you know almost unanimously across the board, the culture of America is that we're animal lovers. So you, know, again, my epoch is individual preference, so on and so forth. But as a whole, we are a, are a nation of animal lovers. So if we say that we are doing a really good job in this one household budget wise, monetary wise, that we can care for these two patients and then we just pick up another one, we just pick up another three, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether we, like I said, found those cats on the side of the road, found a dog on Craigslist, you know, found it in the Walmart parking lot, you know, wherever these animals are coming from. Yep. Now what we're saying is because there's just so many animals everywhere, and there's this failure of population control, um, is that it's making our at-risk households worse, because if they could have cared for two patients very well, Mm -hmm. you don't make more money by then bringing three animals into the house. Yeah. So you have still a finite budget on care, where then you're going to start to shift your household your your household now becomes at risk where you had two patients you could care for. Now you have two and three puppies or two and three kittens that you can't care for. Right.
1: It's increasing the quantity, but it also is lowering or it's increasing the risk for the ones that were already there too. Yeah. So it's it's higher quantity and higher risk yep. at the same time. Yeah.
0: No. I, risk is a really good word for it because there's financial risk, uh, but also disease risk. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Bio uh, biosecurity. So mm-hmm. you know, for me, I'm probably one of the most strict veterinarians when it comes to biosecurity. I want a month. I want a month from when a new like kitten comes into the household before it's introduced to the other animals in the house because respiratory issues, most of your you know respiratory viral infections too, uh, most of your intestinal parasites have two to four week life cycles. So you can have a patient that tests fecal negative, but they got a they got parasites in their gut that are going to shed eggs within a couple of weeks, but they're not going to test fecal positive until four weeks later. Hmm. So for me, it's like no, I don't want, I don't want anybody commingling. <laughs> yeah. with, you know it, it, we're going to have years and years and years and years and years where these animals can live together. Can we just A month off? Can we just can we have a little break for you know uh, the first four weeks to make sure everyone's right between vaccines? So again, risk, right? Right. So we're saying the risk of the household is even higher than from a disease standpoint, uh, from a monetary standpoint, from a patient care standpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's when we start to look at sort of this lack of infrastructure. It then sort of comes down to how do we appropriately identify these at-risk households, um, and before we even start to talk about the population influence, but when we start, you know, bringing it back to our, how do we uh, sort of identify these at-risk households? Um, and what sort of infrastructure do we have to help these at-risk households? So if mm-hmm. it is a household where they have two patients they can't care for, how can we help them? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we identify them? Uh, but then also when we start to bring the population portion into it as they had two, now they have five, how can we, what infrastructure is there to help these people? Um, mm-hmm. and, and the thing is that there isn't for either, you know, is that we as veterinarians, as technicians, I mean, you know when it's like, oh yeah, so-and-so has five cats or six cats or eight cats and it's it's like, well, this is you know what they're going to be able to do, and we're going to try to do our best for these people. Um, but then the same thing is, you know, when we have these at-risk households, and then they don't have enough money to spay and neuter, and then you know their you know two becomes eight, you know, it just quickly, because, yeah, quickly, yeah. So that that's also part of this sort of failure. Population control is, um, you know, that patients probably aren't being spayed and neutered um, at the frequency that they should. Yep. Um, and I think then, I th- you know, I think. We're very, very good, uh, thanks to you, of course. Um, is when we talk about fault, um, it's really more so on like the accountability side. Yeah. You know, and saying yep. there really isn't a fault. I mean, we can, you know, on one hand, blame veterinary clinics for charging too much, yeah. right? But I don't know if that's really the problem. We can go the other way and we can blame people people and being at fault for not having money for taking on this responsibility, but it's actually way more complex than that. It is, you know, because, you know, like I identified a few minutes ago is it's not a matter of vets charging too much and people not having enough money. That is definitely one part of it, mm-hmm. but a part of it is there's just so many animals everywhere is we, we have failed population control.
1: Yeah. Well, the, 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 the concept uh, again, going back to the thing that we've touched on every time is this, this idea of the top bond practice, the top catering to the top 20% developed the pricing structure, ages ago um and as um uh, the frequency or i I don't know frequency the quantity of animal ownership has increased across the entire spectrum um those that are in the middle 60 especially the lower half of that um basically what happened is they were completely uncared for and then that it was an exponential increase in population in a very short amount of time so what needs to happen now to a point, is 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 some janitorial work, but yeah, I, I, hate, yeah. I hate to put it that way, but no, it, it, it is clean cleanup up yeah. because um, there there was so the the lack of service, the lack of infrastructure that happened for uh, twenty years, yeah, something like that, 15? Yeah. Yeah, fifteen, uh, yeah. Yeah, something like that, yeah. um, when it really started to turn over into a lot, you mm-hmm. know, every um, most households owning a, a pet. Um that that that's transition then the the pricing model didn't keep up, yeah, not to say again, you can't can you put the blame on either side? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't know, and I don't know if it really is Im- positively impactful to blame either side either way no. because I I have no desire to blame the people for wanting to care for animals. No. Um, because, it, you know, the closer that they are to them, yeah. I would agree that the li- yeah. more likely they are to to care for them. But also from a veterinarian's perspective, you know, to, especially after 2008, thousand oh, yeah. eight, I'm, I'm, why would I try to cater to the people that don't have any free cash flow anymore? Right. And that's the big, I think that's a big contributor to what halted any progress that may have happened between 2004, 2008. Absolutely. When everyone, you know, it, there was a whole lot of money that yep. was put into the system. Yep and then <clears throat> everyone lost all of it um, and then it just like just stopped Yep. it just, just this is the pause point guys and yep. just and I I would say that the, the kickstart to get back off of that um, has I don't, I don't know if it started I know it started with us yeah yep. Um, but it's it's it seems like the pickup yep. to continue the progress has been very slow but the population control problem has not stopped. It has no. only continued further and further and further along. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: absolutely. And I, I, th- I think right in the middle there, you had touched on one as well as like that desire to care mm-hmm. and that's uh, again in tandem then how when we were talking about you know sort of our failed bond spectrum alignment and culture that was sort of how we were talking about it was that you know you have this relatively middle to high um, bond spectrum alignment as a whole in the country you yeah. know again you have people that kind of flip everyone but for the most part we're tipping into this e- yeah, anthropomorphic. trending higher yeah for we, sure. yep, we're definitely trending in that direction and then again like you said the monetary component to it so it, it still then comes into these at-risk households and this failure population control is that we got you know we have a lot of lovers you know a lot of pet lovers and it's just you have more animals you want to care for them you don't want to see them and that's the same thing for us on the veterinary side you don't want to see bad things happen to them you don't want to see these things but also at the end of the day it's like yeah i mean you know you don't want to miss meals you don't want to miss mortgage you want to miss this you want to miss this and i think it's it's one of the one of the um great things that, uh, again, we learn from you, but also in part of our own problem-solving process, mm-hmm. um, is there's there's no, it's never fruitful to really focus on blame. Right. You, you know, I mean, if, if we wanna really sit down and just hash out this conversation, like I think you're at fault and I think you're at fault, it's like where is that actually going to get
1: us Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. Right. My favorite, I know this is a reference that'll fly over a lot of people's heads, my favorite South Park character ever is Captain Hindsight. <laughs> did you ever see that episode? Yes, yes. Because yes. it is is so uh they they do a phenomenal job of making fun of everyone. Mm-hmm. but that character is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. is like, yeah, he might be a superhero that can see everything in the past and what right. we did wrong, but he doesn't get us anywhere positive, yeah, uh, and yeah. and that's, yeah, so that's, I told you that's the gift I have, right. Like, I have the gift of hindsight. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we touched on that in episode two or three. Um, (laughs) Right, yeah. But that's, and that is important because it does allow, you know, as they say, study history so you don't repeat the same mistakes. Correct. But don't just study it to point blame and then say, well, there's nothing I can do about it Right,
0: right, right. No, precisely. Yep, yep. And I think that's where, when we kind of get into, you know, on sort of the left side of our industry overview diagrams, we start to talk about wellness and engagement. We start to talk about shelter engagement. We kind of get into these solutions. That's the exact. Point, Mm -hmm. you know, as for us, and and I know people have uh, hopefully sat through hours of content (laughs) now leading up to the service components of this. I mean, we may have lost some people along the way. That's okay. Um, That's fine. That's fine. Um, But I think again, you know, the the reality here is is that we really aren't belly aching about this, and we do have solutions to come out of it. Um, But when we really start to talk about, you know, the the at risk households to failure population control, um, is we no one is helping themselves. You know, yeah. I mean, and it's—I'm and not saying people aren't trying, but I'm just saying, but with the whole circle between the saturation of shelters, the saturation of rescues, the saturation of households, it's—it's it's just where's the money come from? Where's the talent come from? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's where, when we start to look at kind of those two variables, why it is so incredibly important that um, universities to students to veterinarians to veterinary clinics is that we integrate so hard into the shelter system just to focus on biosecurity and um, spaying and neutering patients reducing population control and then getting into these households like i said these at-risk households where it's you know they have the two patients and they can care for two patients very well it doesn't help those people to see a cat or dog on a shelter website or um you know, a uh, rescue website or something like that um, where there is an expectation of care where it's like, oh, this animal has been vetted. You know, we've dewormed it. We've looked at it. You know, this is a little bit of an older patient, Um, but really like the full context of this animal's medical history probably isn't tracked. One, they may not know. Yeah. Um, However, uh, the next is then going to come to um, the veterinary talent that is working in the actual shelters themselves Mm -hmm. is to say, well, what is the competency of this veterinarian? Is there actually a certified technician there, do they have any diagnostic capability or is it someone coming through just doing certificates of uh, certified veterinary inspection, the CVIs, where it's just like going in, yep, they look all right, sign off on the paper. Mm -hmm. Or is it, oh, this one actually has really terrible dental disease. That one actually has pretty significant and advanced skin problems. You know, this one has this, this one has this, this one has urinary problems, this one has this. And we also then have diagnostics to back that up. So how many shelters, whether they're kill or no-kill, how many rescues, whether they're assembled or non-assembled, to then how many households, whether they're you know private individuals, how many of them actually have access to unlimited veterinary care to identify the true needs of the animals in the shelter when there's already too many animals in the shelter. Right. So that's then where we're saying even if you go through the proper channels where you're someone who has, you know, two patients in the household, you can afford two patients in the household, you're taking care of two patients in the household, no problem. You just want a third. Just want a third cat, third, you know, second cat, you know, whatever it happens to be, that's fine. I mean more power to you. Um, you have an expectation that you've received now going through an adoption process, um, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be rescue, whether it be shelter, whatever it is, you say, oh, well this patient was cared for and it's a little bit older, may have some needs. Um, and then you adopt it and it's like, oh yeah, this one, I guess does vomit a little bit more. Oh yeah, this one actually kind of has some bad breath. And then you take that patient to a veterinarian and it's like, oh yeah, there's, you know, probably $1,500, $1,800 in dental work. Um, you know, it's got a bad heart. It's got, you know, these issues, these issues, these, these issues, these issues, um, And the the people weren't expecting that. Right. You know, they weren't expecting this huge medical bill. I mean, they, maybe they knew they were getting an older patient or whatever it happens to be, um, but they didn't know that much. Yeah. And so then it comes back on the shelter system. Mm-hmm. So like I said, this is all coming back to our lack of infrastructure, right. is for us to then say, well, there's no uniformity between kill, no kill. And even between kills, there's no uniformity, uh, you know, uh, to then say well, rescues and everything else. If we don't have at least an infrastructure of the expectation of veterinary care with the patients in these organizations and the people then adopting these animals, are then inadvertently turned into an at-risk household. You know, they're just doing the right thing. Um, It it all comes. It all can potentially come back to the shelter, you know, where then that's a negative PR move for them. Where it's like, I just adopted this, you know, cat from you guys, and I didn't know it was this bad, and Mm -hmm. you know, you guys need to take it back. And they're like, well, we told you it was older, and you knew what you were getting your into, you know, getting yourself into. And um, there are some uh, shelters, uh, again, not uniform, but some of them, you know, it's it's frowned upon when the animal goes back, you know. And it's like, well, it was your responsibility to care for this animal. It's like, well, I wasn't totally informed of the severity of the problem at the time of adoption. So, um, and it's not to say that the shelter was necessarily. Withholding any information, it was just they didn't have it, right. you know. And again, it all comes back to you know, sort of the the creation of these at-risk households. Whether we're talking about, um, you know, the, the are we identifying illnesses early enough? Are we um, having affordable services? Is there available services? And it's you know where people have access to it at all parts of that spectrum, mm-hmm. from the no kill to kill to rescue, assembled
1: or non-assembled, to the individual
0: households and everything else.
1: You 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 had meant you the way that you worded that um, I, I don't know if you realize how good it was, but it is. Uh, <laughs> no. You said the creation of at risk households. Yes. Um, it, outside of of this industry, just with the exposure that I've had in, in different worlds, um, the the concept of uh, creating risk is something that I feel, and I could I could probably factually back up at some point here is that no business model is out to create risk with without a significant amount of reward on the back end of it right sure um, so the reward in this case being you know I if I'm if I'm a caregiver I go to the shelter. I I adopt an older patient, um, and I I understand that I'm at risk for both my my emotional health uh, to a point. You know, yeah. I'm going to get attached to something that's probably not going to be around for terribly long, sure, sure. Uh, or um, you know, potentially ill yeah. could you yeah. know. I, I if I understand that, I'm yeah. willing to take it on. Sure. The reward Which some people are the yeah. reward being the emotional uh, attachment, yeah. uh, fulfillment, uh, fulfillment. Uh, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Um, But from a uh, from the the shelter's perspective uh, and from our from the veterinary world's perspective, uh, I I just as a caregiver, wouldn't you say then it's kind of our job to mitigate as much of that risk as possible? Because really what you're saying is there's not any, quote unquote, monetary gain for, for the individual that's taking on the risk.
0: Correct. Yeah. I, no, I'm, there's not. No, yeah. How could there be? Right. You know, so unless somebody for some has reason to mitigate
1: that at some point. Unless
0: there was animal flippers, right? You know, yeah. where it's like you're taking an animal from a shelter that needs an incredible amount of work, you're taking it in your household, you're going to flip this animal to being super healthy and you're going to sell it for a profit. Right. That's like, it the doesn't only, happen. that doesn't happen. Nobody right. does that. It's, no. You know, again, it's, you're right. It's it's a, um, entirely emotional um, yeah. that, that, that that circumstance arises, which um, is valid. Yeah, which is valid. Yeah, there's no problem with that. It's just coming but, into the culture part.
1: But Well, right. But the concept of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to acquire this animal. I'm going to sink two to $5,000 into it over the next three years. Right. Like it's just, it's not even so much that they're not willing to do it. It's just, it doesn't it's not, most people would say it's not logical to do that. Yeah. I guess was the easiest way for me to put it. It's not rational.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, certainly if you're in the world of, you know, sort of independent wealth, you know, where it's like, we can't do these things because we have the means to do it then by all means, right? you know, whatever. But, but again, no, I think there's an incredible amount of emotional reward by getting these patients from the shelter and then bringing them in your household and be like, you know what, I got my patient, you know, um, and this is, this is part of our, our, um, human animal bond was you know it used to be where um, you just went and got a dog or a cat from a shelter. Then it then even you can hear me say it. It's well you're adopting a dog or a cat from a shelter. But the terminology used now is I'm rescuing a dog or a cat yeah. from a shelter. I'm rescuing it from a rescue organization. I rescued it from Facebook. There there's this uh, the terminology change in that capacity is one of the subtle sort of um, implications of of the people who are doing this type of work and where they fall in the in the culture of bond spectrum alignment yeah. is that they really do feel that they are they are at the service of this animal they are coming to the to the need of this particular patient i'm rescuing this animal i don't know if too many people who run into a burning house to rescue a dog out of a burning house? I mean, of course, there's firemen. They're doing a lot of my right. I mean, that that is there. But like the real terminology, rescue, like I mean, that that is a very literal sense that they're being rescued from you know uh, death and dismay, which then has bled over into saying, well, when they come out of a shelter, I'm rescuing. When they come out of this, I'm rescuing. So that's the emotional component to. What it means to get an animal in today's world, and we say the creation of these at-risk households mm-hmm. is that what they're taking on is the—they um, already have the mindset that they are now in a position where they are the ones who are solely responsible for caring for this patient. Which I'm not saying that they aren't, because once you then bring that animal into that household, you are responsible for the care of that animal. Mm-hmm. But it comes back to what I said a few minutes ago: is it's a matter of understanding, it's a matter of you know forethought, it's a matter of you know really even it, it informed consent to a certain degree. I was going to say, yeah, it's, yeah, we. Informed yeah, decision-making. Yeah, informed decision-making. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, I don't know, again, if this is a culture or not, but I think we do a really good job of making uninformed decisions all the time. Oh, absolutely. Not, not, yeah, not I'm saying like we as a company, but I mean, just like just people in general do a mm-hmm. really good job of just like, well, I'm going to do this now because I'm doing the right thing for this animal. But then when it really starts to hit and it's like, well, we have a problem with population control at the moment. There's too many animals. Most of those animals aren't getting the care that they need um, in in this particular setting, of course. Um, You know, like you said, then the creation of these at risk households. And then it comes back to what the discussion always is who's at fault, who's at blame, and who's responsible. So, like I said, I think while, yes, um, the individual caregivers are responsible for the care of the patients that they bring into their household, there is a certain amount of responsibility on the veterinary side to say as well and to say that we need to have affordable health care. We need to have Mm -hmm. affordable wellness. We need to have affordable preventative medicine. We need to have, you know, affordable spays and neuters. We need affordable vaccinations, you know, so on and so forth. And um, again, I think it sort of comes back and it's now starting to touch onto the antiquated uh, business practice component and saying, well, um, you know, it is our responsibility in a certain capacity to figure out a solution for people who don't even know they have the problem before they yep. even have the problem. Yep. So we need to then create a business and this is that infrastructure component mm-hmm. is that we live and breathe veterinary medicine all day. Mm-hmm. You know the the whole team between caregiver support, medical support, uh, you know technicians and veterinarians, we see the same stuff. If you, if you keep your eyes open, you see the same stuff all the time. Well,
1: yeah, you even alluded to it in the, the the episode about culture. It's you can only practice medicine for so long without being like i know what this is it's right uh, yeah, yeah as long as you're observant yes. yeah absolutely yes. and you can see it from many different perspectives yeah i mean it's like
0: when you know um uh, patients come in uh canine patients come in requiring a c-section mm-hmm. you know it's pretty much the same story every time it's either um you know we Uh, you know, uh, at one point in time, we're planning on getting this dog bred um, at least once we were going to plan it, you know, and so we had uh, all the necessary money and all the things, you know, related around it to proper care. Uh, But then it sort of happened accidentally, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, or it was one where, you know, I really wanted to get my dog spayed or I really wanted to get my dog, uh, get my dog spayed. um, But it was just, I kind of live a paycheck to paycheck life. So I never have really had the opportunity to get it spayed. And then it tied with the neighbor's dog, because none of us have our dogs on leashes, or it's, they did it through a fence which is crazy but it happens oh yeah you know so Mm -hmm. it's you know it's kind of these like same variables every time where when these patients come in it's like oh well that's obviously why they're here so Mm -hmm. uh, coming back to the whole point here is that Mm -hmm. we live and breathe these things every time and usually most problems have the same predisposing factors hit by cars they always come in for pretty much the same reasons this is what led up to the hit by car every time yeah c-sections this is what led up to it almost every time, Mm -hmm. um, these three variables. So what we're saying is, from an antiquated business practice standpoint, which is, again, a kind of a a big bubble in of itself, is that, just like I said, we need to anticipate what it is they're coming in with. So how do we, as a company, prevent everybody from having C-sections? How do we prevent everybody from having it by cars? How do we prevent? Now, that's like trauma, and that's illness. But Mm -hmm. let's take it the other way how do we prevent dogs from coming in with heartworm disease? Mm-hmm. How do we prevent dogs from coming, you know, uh, you know, patients coming with all these very things. So um, even, even older patients, uh, older feline patients with uh, kidney disease and kidney failure, how do we actually get to that point of prevention and saying, well, let's catch this before it's a problem, let's prevent this before it's a problem. Um, we have a lot to gain as a company as a business, as an industry, if we just establish that infrastructure for the majority of households. Right. Rather than, like we had said before, rather keeping it at the top bonded level, but we have to create a business structure that already anticipates all of the problems that people are coming through the door with and prevent them from ever, ever
1: coming in. Yeah.
0: You know, and... Um,
1: but you just said it, though. Like, that, uh, that mindset is, um, from a, a purely capitalist perspective, um, is back words. sure. Because <laughs> you take a take a a, a C section case sure. where um you know, a, 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 an average C section costs two grand, maybe I don't know. Whatever, yeah. let's call it two yeah. grand for a nice even yeah. number. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, a spay procedure costs two hundred. Right, as yeah. just a I don't general know number yeah. general number yeah. one hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, so sure. you are talking you are taking ten times less money. Yeah. Um be out of uh, essentially uh, anti-capitalist or altruist. We, in this instance, would call it altruistic motive, um, which if, if you consider the fact that it is a top on in practice, the idea of being top on it is I'm going to do the, the most financially gaining item i've sure. know, again when i alluded to the concept of popular uh, um production sure med- oh, with in medicine yeah. that's kind of what i was getting at where it's like oh well, wouldn't you lean towards the yeah. two thousand dollar procedure wouldn't you lean towards these bigger yeah. numbers yeah. um but the catch of that whole thing is and that i've started to notice being in the clinic a whole lot is that if you can have a wellness patient for 10 years that doesn't get a c-section you yeah. end up in the same place and you end up with somebody that's going to show up Every year, Yep. It, it they're going to spend their two hundred bucks, three hundred dollars a year, whatever yep. it might be. Yeah, you're going to do a little bit more work al- along the way. Yeah, but you're serving the patient exactly, absolutely. No, so, it, so you yep. end up in the same yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's it's the it's the my it's it's really your you're kind of stepping over a dollar yeah. to get to the different dollar or yeah. pick a t- or stepping over a dollar to pick up 10 dimes. Yeah. it just, <laughs> sure. It takes right. some time to pick up each one. <laughs> right. Yeah. You yeah. still end up in the same place and you're not really sacrificing, assuming that you're doing your job well yep. on the wellness side and yep. you're able to serve um, multiple types of people yep. um, at, a, at an affordable rate. Yeah, but you're you're essentially in the same place. Yeah, no, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think I think that's a big takeaway.
0: You know, when we start to look at saying, if you're exactly right, true capitalism, you are going to race towards the two thousand dollars sale. Right. That is what you want to have done. Um, but I, it's it's uh, accidental. You know, I right. think I think a, a lot of veterinarians, it's not like we have this thing. It's like, well, I'm not going to spay anything. Because as long as I still have C sections or I still have um, like a uterine infection or pyometra is the other one, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that you know it's the same story. Um, you know it's like if, you know it's not like we have this conscious decision where it's like oh we're not going to spay so that we can make you know ten times the money on one of these other procedures. It's that because coming it back to you, because there's a failure of population control yeah. and because we have these at risk households, it's like that's the name of the game is we just don't have patients who are spayed and neutered. We just don't have patients that have been vaccinated appropriately. We just don't have. Patients patients, you know, that are on heartworm preventive. I mean, I, um, you know, f- for us, uh, you know, for the years I've been practicing, you know, I've had more heartworm positive patients in the last three years than I've had in my entire career. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's insane, you know, f- to be like, I, I just, you just never saw it, you yeah. know? So again, it's kind of the same story is that, yeah, you're exactly right. The, um, you know, We do it accidentally. And I I think it's, um, again, it's not a fault thing. It's not the veterinarian's fault for having these services too high, and it's not the people's fault for not having enough money. It's that the entire infrastructure of our industry is so broken that it's like no one actually knows what to do hmm. And
1: um, yeah. who's going to make the first move? Yeah. And right. Are, are we going to expect are we going to expect the, con, the the caregiver, the consumer yeah. to budget more appropriately yeah. according to the way that the market is? Yes. Or are we going to take the hit on the front yeah. end on the veterinary, the yeah. veterinarian side and yeah. say, I'm going to take less yeah. so that this problem starts to go away? Yeah. Somebody has to pick. Yes. yes. And, and I think what again, we're referring back to the 2008 point. Yeah. You had a stalemate. Yeah. It was like, I can't drop my prices because I'll go out of business. Right. And on the caregiver side, I don't have any money to spend. (laughs) Right. So we just just sat there and stared at each other. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, people got mad you know the yeah. caregivers
0: got pissed off the veterinarians got you know the caregivers got pissed off at the vets the vets got pissed off at the, get the caregivers mm-hmm. you know everyone was just angry all the time and that's a good thing again when we start to talk about then uh, you know when we start coming into these antiquated business practices that's then where public relations went out the damn window mm-hmm. you know where then it's everyone's mad all the time and you'll start to see veterinary groups uh, forums uh, wherever that happens to be uh, you know where all they're doing is just client bashing the whole time mm-hmm. tons of uh, non-veterinary forums of caregivers just bashing veterinary veterinarians. And then you kind of have some people in the middle where, you know, there's caregivers where they're like, listen, guys, I know you're pretty upset about this, but it is not fair to really trash that veterinarian because that veterinary team, that technician, the, the staff, because they are trying to do good work and they're trying to do what they can but they have limitations as well Mm -hmm. and then it's like us on the other side um that's why i I can't follow a lot of veterinary forums Uh, there are some that i can but some of them are where they're just so heavy on client bashing yeah it's just like are you are you really that ignorant about your own actual part in this and the answer is yes a lot of and that's why of course we're doing this and we have this industry review, is that we all are playing a role and it comes back to how we keep saying and the repeated theme is what's the solution what's the implementation Mm -hmm. um and that's again as we start to kind of move through these outer blue bubbles of our industry overview um, is exactly that. The solutions and just saying, well, this, it, something has to give. Someone yeah. has to make the first move. Um, and that's then kind of coming into our antiquated business practices. I mean, we've been talking about all these old practices. We haven't really necessarily focused on that one bubble itself. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we've been kind of touching on these business practices all along. But I don't, I don't think most caregivers really, really understand how antiquated veterinary practices are and I guess they, they know like- the
1: difference because like the, com- the comparison would be human medicine I, and understand. I actually was having a conversation with a, an individual who was an IC, ICU nurse sure. uh, just the other day. Oh, yeah. And right, uh, right. the thing that she kept coming back to was like, I have no issue paying for any of this stuff, but I completely understand why a lot of people have trouble uh, in, in paying for just any veterinary service is because the expectation from the human medicine side is that it's all subsidized by insurance. Yeah. And that's why, you know, the I, I mean, I think I saw it on a forum the other day where, you Vets, are, vets don't make as much money because there's no insurance in it. And right. like, why would I go to veterinary school when I can go to human medical school yeah. and make 10 times as much money? Yeah. Um, so, like, there's the comparison between those two things, and just understanding that uh, insurance is the one that I lean on just because I don't have the yeah, the, yeah. the doctor level sure. exposure. Yeah, yeah. It's just one example yeah. that a caregiver can see and say, well, clearly they're way behind yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't like. Or even services yeah. like CAT scan machines. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Which is High hilarious that it's called a CAT scan. Yeah right. Uh, I know yeah. it's not actually yeah. the f- yeah. the medical term. Yeah, it's but. lab work and yeah. CAT scan. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, like those aren't available everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no. the, the, yeah the, from the, one the clinic to the next. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the, the the standard isn't quite the same or whatever it might be. Um. The, the access to the subsidized level of, mm-hmm. of, of financial support isn't quite there. Um, so I think it's there, but absolutely caregivers, as a general rule, they just show up. Yeah. Yeah. And they just like, my yeah. patient is either well or sick. Yeah. Fix yeah, it fix and it. don't make me go broke. But 100%. Yes. So I, I had a, um, uh,
0: so one of the things we had talked about is, is you know Paul Health Foundation, right? So we yeah. talked about having a nonprofit organization that kind of stuff um is, you know, I had a meeting with um, it was at a doctor's meeting, and this was probably like, Ten years ago, I mean, easily with one of the veter- other. I was associate veterinarian at the time. It was another associate veterinarian in the practice, um, and we were basically having that discussion of, well, whose responsibility is it to pay for care if you can't pay for care, you know? And mm-hmm. it was that thought is, you know, ultimately, if you have good insurance and you can't pay for care, well, the idea is insurance is covering that because you've been paying small amounts of insurance. That's the insurance game. Yeah. But because, like you said, it's not, um, and that's that is part of these antiquated business practices is that there's. Um, uh, least what 10 10 now there's probably more but honestly there, there's so many different veterinary insurance companies
1: now oh, hundreds, you know, yeah honestly it, well it, yeah
0: and that's the thing like your major players in the game yeah there's, know, there's there's 10
1: big ones yeah. but there's a, a countless number of other ones. yeah
0: so that's then part of the discussion is you know for us to then as an industry say no there are plenty of insurance companies out there but as a business we haven't done anything to actually educate people that these things are available mm-hmm. um you know is it not in our best interest Every customer, every time, to pitch insurance to them. I don't sell insurance. I don't, you know, I don't have any stake in the game in that capacity. But I have a, I have a, a, a direct benefit in having these people be able to afford care. Yeah. Um, and it, I think part of affordable care um, is, uh, I think there's some responsibility there, you know, in just saying, well. If we have insurance companies, the veterinary rates are going to go up by a factor of 10. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's responsible either. Right. You know, it's like, oh, well, just because we have insurance, we can start to charge more. Um, It then is what is happening in In the human side. So when you don't have insurance, you you go bankrupt. You go bankrupt, which is not responsible. Right. So I think, you know, for us to, you know, sort of take this, you know, sort of, you know, insurance for all and, uh, you know, preventative medicine for all and you know some of these really kind of core concepts it's not very popular for certain people within the political spectrum and in the human side but mm-hmm. of course within the veterinary side i think there is a way we can do it well and that's again just all kind of talking about these antiquated business practices there's plenty of people who come through our front door who have no idea insurance even exists in our industry yeah you know and mm-hmm. i don't think i'm not saying that insurance is the answer and no you know, it's it, one example it's one example yeah 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 i think it's it's one um yeah one example of these antiquated business practices but getting back you know i said a few moments ago is that most people don't Really know how antiquated we really are. No. and a lot of it is really sort of on the back end, and I mean, you can talk very, very specifics about how uh, sort of antiquated some practices are. Like, for, I'll give you inventory for one example. So, okay. um, our inventory process—you um, know—we use uh, CoVetris for ninety-five percent of our business. Uh, phenomenal company as far as supply chain, the people that work there—you know—sort of their their business eth- business ethics, animal ethics. I mean, this, it's a great company. Um, but for them, they say, okay, well, hey, we have this supply chain where. Um, you have an inventory item you sell that inventory item as a product and when you sell it your inventory drops well we have an entire software system that tracks your drop so when you go below a threshold it's going to kick out a purchase order the purchase order is going to go for reorder and then guess what that's going to come back to your company electronically for you to then receive this particular item but guess what when you receive it it's updated pricing right then Yeah. So that type of system is very manual in almost every other practice that you go to, Mm -hmm. where it's you have one person whose job is to go around and count drugs. And that's what they do every week. Mm -hmm. You have one, you know, maybe that same person's job is to then manually generate purchase orders where they have to go onto the website. They go onto the website to then tally off and saying, I need one bottle of this, and I need two bottles of this, and I need four bottles of this, and Mm -hmm. I need, you know, six bottles of that. Um, I need this stitch. So their job is then to have that ordered. And then when the items come in, maybe, maybe they update the price rate then. Maybe. Um, but it's very possible that depending on the pricing structure of that particular veterinary clinic, that they just flat rate this drug. Like we'll use a steroid as an example. So prednisone is, I don't know, probably a couple cents a pill. Well, I don't care what the price of prednisone is from the vendor. I'm just going to sell it to you for a dollar a pill. I don't care because for me, I'm going to sell it and I'm not going to waste the time to give updated pricing on this particular item. That is one very focused example of an antiquated business practice, which is pretty much the standard in a lot of your definitely monument practices, you know, kind of these old uh, kind of traditional type practices. Um, but really, when you say, no, we have like our inventory system. When I first started at this clinic as well, as 10 years before we were an owner, um, is that the inventory thing was about maybe a 15 hour a week job, 20 hour a week job. Something like that, we've got it down to I don't know, forty-five to ninety minutes <laughs> a week. You know, so so you know, in in that <laughs> example, right? So you know, so we talk about lack of infrastructure, right? So this is just inventory. We're, right. we're not talking about anything else. So if we just use this as one inflated example, which we may be getting too specific into this particular integrated business. A good practice, example. It is a good example. Is that here's the concern. So now you have person who had a job at 20 hours a week and now the computer system is replacing them. Mm -hmm. Well, what, well, what now? Well, that's my job. Those are my hours. You're cutting my hours. You're cutting my pay. So then where is the incentive to advance a business practice? If it's going to affect the clinic culture that you as a business owner are now cutting people's wages because the computer system does better. Yeah. And it's like, well, well, We can find other ways for you to get ours. There may be other things in the clinic we need to work on, like culture like training, like, you know, any of these other things that we've been talking about engagement. There's other ways we can find, you know, uh, you to get
1: hours and you to make wage, but the business moves forward. Yeah. Going back to our our discussion on, on culture again. And it's funny how so much of this is based around this. I, 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 we keep going back to it and I, maybe it's just because I see so much value in it. I don't really know. Regardless, what you're saying is somebody, the, the culture of, a practice is holding on to its shoestrings, and if you if you mess with it by saying nope, we're gonna do better, right? And you blow your culture apart in that way. Your culture wasn't good, yeah. It's flat out. So if the, if that's your decision making process, go back to your culture, yeah, because you have to improve that. So that you yeah. can do this, these things all interconnect. Yeah, all There's some interconnect. major interdependence with all of these variables, yeah. and I, that's just—it's kind of sad, honestly, yeah. that 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 level yeah. of um, decision making would be included. Because, right. it, I mean, yeah. I I am very much a capitalist, <laughs> <sure>. and uh, <laughs> if it, the the idea of halting business progress yeah. for the sake of yeah. Holding on to whatever means yeah. of culture you might have to me is kind of sad.
0: Yeah, no, and I think, you know, it's certainly not a platform for us to talk about our, you know, political stuff. I mean, you know, I lean a bit more towards that, you know, democratic socialist side, mm-hmm. you know, where it's uh, unity and doing these things together and there's ways we can uh, level the playing field on certain things. But you're exactly right is that we are talking about business decisions ultimately made for cultural reasons yeah. and I'm not saying that we there it shouldn't go the other way there is and you have to improve culture you have a lot to gain as a company yes that, that is that is definitely true but what I'm what I'm referring to is kind of like what we had just said is that you know when we start to then say okay well um, Uh, I can't improve this part of my practice, which is better to serve the patient because I am afraid of what it's going to do to the staff. Like you said, there's a bigger problem.
1: Yeah. You're what, what the the business decisions that you have made in the past in terms of improving culture have been proactive in advancement. What you're talking about is, is a lack of reaction out of fear. Yes. So those are, to me, those are two very, very different things, regardless of your political affiliation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I had
0: uh, uh, one of, um, uh, CEO of the, the
1: company uh, that used to
0: own us, um, you know, I was talking to her, you know, is uh, we can't have lunch you know, every year, every couple of years or whatever. So, um, you know, I met with her and I said, you know, I don't, there's certain things about this that I don't understand. Like running a business is difficult. I'm not saying that, but it was always sort of pitched to me that it was more difficult than what I'm currently experiencing. And mm-hmm. that was one of the, one of the things I'd asked her. And I said, I just don't understand why some of this stuff, is easy, you know, with the culture, with making a business decision that is going to affect the staff negatively or positively, but either that positive or negative staff impact is to improve patient care. And then in the long run, even if you have a negative impact on the staff, those people with whom the impact was negative probably don't and shouldn't have been with your organization. Um, But then the long term is that our goal is to serve patient care. I said to her, I said, well, why, I don't understand, why is this, why is this so difficult? Like, why is this pitched as being so difficult? And she kind of made the joke. She's like, well, you're not afraid to fire people. Yeah. You know, we said that before, you know, and it's like, well, I don't want to fire people. I don't want people to have less hours. I don't want to have, like you said, a culture of fear in the other direction where Mm -hmm. I am as a business owner culturally I I'm, I'm fearful of my employees same thing uh, I don't want them to be fearful of me it's a level playing field if we're talking about leveling the hierarchy of an organization yep. is that 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 is also administratively dropped where we are here as equals yep. I am paying you an appropriate rate you are doing service as appropriately aligned with our company no one's in debt to one another there right. is no fear right. so that's then when we start to you know really back down to it like I said before, with this sort of, um, you know, there is no blame, Mm -hmm. you know, and in so many different walks of this, it really boils down to taking it back, taking it back, taking it back, taking it back. What are we actually here for? well we're here to serve the patient so if we're all here to serve the patient then we
1: can sort of build up from there when you level the playing field you have your your horizontal organization structure everyone's on the same plane what that does is it uh, literally and figuratively at the same time says okay that means we're all here to do the same thing yes like we've we've left our our concerns at the door that's why we're all here Mm -hmm. and when uh, I actually was in, I did an interview with with Annie on the other day. And I, and I talked a whole bunch about that and because he had come from some larger organizations and there was a little bit of, uh, you could tell like resentment from managers and all that sort sure. of stuff. And I was like, I, I understand that your reaction to that comes out of a very valid place because you were in this massive hierarchical <laughs> right. structure. You were given no autonomy, all that sort of stuff. We don't do that here. Yeah. Um, this is the way that it works. And the reason we do that is to serve the patient. Um, but ultimately what that does um, is when people don't do that, they stick out like a sore thumb absolutely and what this is what we do we just either say fix it right or you're gone right and it's and it's not because i don't like you right oh no it's yeah. just because this There's- is the way this works here yeah and if you're not okay with that, I'm okay with you leaving. Right. It has nothing to do with animosity, no. resentment, anger, anything like that. It's no. about maintaining uh, maintaining the culture so that the business practices can continue to advance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and see, that's the thing, like for for the employees that are present, it's, it then be turn, becomes a level of favoritism where it's like, mm-hmm. well, this person is coming into the organization. We are all held to this high standard of patient care. Like, And, that, and that's the thing, like I think people are afraid of like, oh, well, this is how you do it here. If you don't like it, you can leave. It's like, hold on a second here. We're not talking about crazy stuff. You know, we're not talking about irrational policies and procedures where you have to follow something just because we say you do it and you need to have it done is that we have constant feedback from staff at all time. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's why we have our four core development team. Mm -hmm. We have separate groups of people who just keep a pulse on the clinic to say, this is working. This isn't working. This is a problem. That's not a problem. Hey, you know, that was a great solution. Guess who came up with that? Oh my God, that person needs praise because they came up with an amazing solution for a problem. We're not just saying it's this, again, it's the horizontal part. It's not a top down structure is it's like coming back from what we had said several ago. We have a tree we need to grow. Right, you know, yeah. we have a massive redwood in California that needs to have a massive root infrastructure. That mm-hmm. Needs to have a massive trunk. We're talking about growing this together, mm-hmm. and that's where we kind of start, to, you know, start talking about if if, if you're if you're going to stick out like a sore thumb if you don't integrate into this process. But it's because of what we're doing we're leaving the profession mm-hmm. we're not we're not in the eye of the storm we're not we're not walking with the entire profession because we know that most of what is staying in the middle of the eye of the storm is antiquated business practices you know as we're saying it's cultural issues it's talent issues we're, we're jumping out and saying nope we have a completely separate thing right which is pulling from experiences and processes and procedures from other industries that have worked In other industries that we're just applying in the veterinary profession, and oh my God, guess what? It's working. Right. If you don't like that, I really am sorry. But I'm sorry for a a couple other reasons. I'm not sorry because we're doing it wrong. I'm sorry because it's actually kind of sad. I'm sorry because there's an institutionalized component to it. Like you actually can't see the benefit that we're bringing to the table for these patients, Mm -hmm. for their caregivers. You can't actually see how, if you can just get over yourself while the time you're in this building, while you're in here working with the team, if you, like, it's sad that you can't get over that. Because we're not an organization of, yeah fine we are a corporation but we're not a company of people who are just handing out orders right it's these are real world solutions to real world problems and ultimately end of the day we are creating infrastructure for the future we are creating infrastructure to be replicable at so many different levels as it's applicable to the environment and the location where it is instituted
1: right there's not one size fits all Mm -hmm. it's
0: guidelines and it's structure
1: yeah Um, one thing that I'll add to it um, that you and I have actually never talked about before because I just saw it the other day Uh, you ever heard of the book called uh, bullshit jobs no. Uh, the individual that wrote it, uh, his name is David Graeber, I believe is his last name. And uh, what the the whole, it was, it's called Bullshit Jobs, a Theory. So there's not a whole lot of scientific substance to it, but what he's talking about is this idea of multiple industries that have horrifically antiquated business practices and veterinary medicine is not included in it, but the concept we is... We should send a, a, a should note s- to the editor. Yes, to the yes. Editor. Yeah, okay. Uh, Here's number six. Right. But basically <laughs> that all, there was a uh, especially in these very very large corporate structures multiple jobs were created just to facilitate some of these other value added jobs It's the idea of the accountant serves the salesperson essentially sure and what it is is that those jobs are essentially bullshit because if you remove that person and you remove the regulation that maybe forced that job that job doesn't matter anymore. There and so it's the it's the idea of um, that that is a complete removal of autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you're here to serve this purpose because two other people required it. Gotcha. You have no leeway one way or the other. Yeah. And what you're really what you're saying is too. Like a lot of the people, I think that have a hard time grabbing onto it is they're so used to the idea of. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to kind of just fit into this bullshit job model, right. which is going to allow me to work 30% of the time and just collect a check the other 70% of the time because yeah. it's just limited engagement, limited value. Yep. That doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mm. I don't know if I've ever worked harder in my life <laughs> right. it, it, because there's constantly something to do. Yeah, always. And and And, it, and it's across the board with yeah. all of our positions. If yeah, you're in yeah. the clinic, there is... Little to no sit around time. No. Uh, I mean, it does happen from time to time, and it's kind of nice to take a breath. Uh, but yeah. I, it, it's definitely not a thirty percent work, seventy percent wait. No. Uh, or, or, or as he likes to put it in the book, a seventy percent look busy because you're sure. trying to justify your existence. You're trying yeah. to just sell your boss yeah. on why you should continue to get paid. Yeah. And yeah. It, for us, it's like, no, I need to, I need to sell these caregivers yeah. on like just. Just pause, like, like. Yep. I promise, I will get to it. I just. There's so much work for me to do. Yeah, I need to get through this yeah. triage order. It's a com- it's a complete flip on it. So I'll I'll put a link in the description for the book. Uh, oh sure, and yeah. I'm sure we'll explore it again at, at some point. But yeah. it, it's a pretty cool idea that yeah. w- we naturally just said no, we don't do that.
0: Yeah, oh, and it's and that and that's the that's the thing was that I, I, coming back to our inventory is sort of our one isolated mm-hmm. type business practice. Um, is I mean here's the reality. So we had one person whose job. was was to handle inventory or this individual had multiple jobs but the idea was that at least half of the job was spent towards this one particular task Mm -hmm. Um, basically we grabbed hold of it and said this whole thing needs to get fixed and it needs to get streamlined it needs to get improved Um, and just inventory management so mind you we had um, maybe some change in consistency in markup so it wasn't like you know this five cent pill is a dollar and this five cent pill is ten cents it was that all of the pills are marked up the same amount Mm -hmm. um, across the board laterally Mm -hmm. and then also supplies and stitch and all these different types of things so um, that was one of the things when when I we took over uh, September was our um, first month and I was like you know I I was like I'm just trying to learn the computer system and I'm you know trying to learn um, how everything works and and I identified that immediately we had tons of other stuff we needed to do from a business standpoint but I was like oh my god we don't know how much stuff costs (laughs) and I was like "Uh, Okay. All right. How can I how can I fix this? I didn't I didn't even know that it was a problem when we had originally took it over. Right. I said okay. All right. Um, okay. Here's what I need to do. That whole month, all of September, um, all I did was fix inventory, and um, it wasn't. Uh, and it was. I mean, it's like another forty hours on top of the like sixty I was already working. It was right. an insane month. Yeah. Um. But just doing that, our prices started. They weren't uh, spiking so much. They started just st- towards the end of um, that year 2015, they started to sort of plateau because we didn't have these huge swings in our estimates for when caregivers were coming through. Um, but the company that just in doing that in quarter four, which, um, you know, uh, October, November, December, mm-hmm. in quarter four, we profited the same amount that the company did in the whole year prior, just in inventory management. Oh, just in inventory management, which is an insane thing to say. Our prices didn't go up. If in, in some circumstances prices actually came down. Okay? So that is one clear, clear, tangible in hand. This is what happens when you fix this one antiquated business practice maybe not in every clinic right but it was it was a start it was a starch example saying no we you know say we talk about these jobs you take these jobs away and as soon as you know we streamline this and this job no longer becomes necessary we're, we're talking about just fixing a process right and that for me i was hooked right after that i was like wow i did one thing for this practice and look at what it did now because i did that this money that we gained health benefits increase in pay increase we had all of our all of our equipment started getting you know between uh, all our new machines uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, fluid pumps uh, all this stuff it was just keep investing keep investing keep investing keep investing into the mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. Um, and it was all because we fixed this one antiquated business
1: practice i just want to make it abundantly clear because i just want to make sure that you and i are on the same page with that statistic quarter for your gross profit number, the actual number, not a percentage, was equal to that of the original three quarters. Net. Yeah, yeah, your net. Yes. I I it wasn't the percentage. It yes. you didn't say it was fifteen percent for these fifteen percent. It was it was I made yes a, a thousand as a number yes. for the first three and then I made another thousand correct for the last one. Correct that's ridiculous that's because what I, of that, that, one process one process yeah
0: no that no that's that is what happened I mean, close I mean we were probably <laughs> net profit wise whole company prior to it maybe maybe my stat is ten to twelve thousand dollars off on okay. profitability yeah but when you're looking at it from damn close yeah in just fixing this one part yeah that's where it's like not only do we have a lot of work to do but guess what black and white. I did one small thing. it significantly improved the health of the practice and it's going to significantly impact the health of the employees in the practice. right And that's yeah that's where Katie and I we said for the first five years we're taking this much money from the clinic. it's mm-hmm. all going back in, going back in going back in, going back in. And then that's now where now we have we're on the cusp of a brand new 11,000 square foot building mm-hmm. because of these things, right It's prices down. Focus on the middle 60%, you know, uh, make things affordable, make things uh, uh, available to, to uh, caregivers. And ultimately, in the end, just start to anticipate ways in which we can fix problems for people who don't even know that they
1: have the problem yet. Right. That's okay. <laughs> you just, uh, that was one of those, uh, yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. Moments right there. It's probably
0: honestly a great place to sort of end. It is because really what we're, what we're,
1: what we're saying there is, all right, we now have a very detailed in a, in a long format picture of a whole lot of problems that we've now understood. Yep they're all very interconnected. Very much interconnected. Because the, the more, the, it, it's it's a it's a spiral. Yep. You can either go up or you can either go down, yep. and they're all gonna impact one another. Yep. So
0: this is the center of this industry overview right here is, I mean, when you, we look at it and you just walk around it clockwise like mm-hmm. we just did yeah. with our uh, video series here, it's a friggin' cyclone. It is. It just keeps it's going. This the, the center of this is the storm, uh-huh. and we as a profession are right at the pinpoint part of culture service and talent and there is no space there anymore there is this this whole thing is just one massive problem and that is our spiral it yeah. keeps going antiquated business lack of infrastructure to failure bond spectrum to loss of talent to lack of infrastructure and it's just going and going and going and going and going and this is
1: why the industry overview is so important yeah so my question then from uh a, from a, an individual who developed a you you saw the problem And now let's say I'm a veterinarian clinic owner. I want to do all of these things. I have, I'm let's say I'm willing to say I'm going to be a vet for 60 hours and I'm going to put in the extra 40. I'm going to start to bust my ass for the next five years. Yeah. Where would you say, and I know the answer is all of them. (laughs) I know the answer is all of them, but this is going to lead us in, into our next episode is, is what's, What's the next thing? What? Where do you put your effort in first? A hundred percent core values and culture. Then that's where we kick off next week. <laughs> awesome right. episode, Carlo. All, right. All uh, right. Yeah. So that means that everyone should tune in next week. Uh, we're gonna start to dive into our core values and, and into the the cultural solutions that we've put in place here at Paul Health and hopefully uh, will help you provide some impact in your own uh, clinics. Anything else, Doctor Carlo? No, that'll do it. Awesome, man. We'll All see right. y'all next week. All right. <laughs> have breathing the baby